0: Good morning, everyone. I mean, I feel so energized just seeing this room and coffee and the wonderful talk by Sasha, right? Um, So um, I'm gonna begin where it all begins for girls like me. It starts with a date in our pre-hand washing era. I'm in Japan and I'm out on a date with a man who is with the US Navy and uh, we're having a good time over coffee, uh, both of us trying to impress each other with a bit of Nihongo that we both speak. And um, and then it hits me that he's undergone uh, experiences of tear gas. And then I realized, oh my God, actually this date is a distraction from the paper I'm supposed to write on tear gas as part of an academic module, because back in India, which is my home country, tear gas was being unleashed against protesters. So tear gas was something that was banned, you know, uh, after the World War I and World War II, and the heroes of this, and the main hero of this part of the world uh, said, I'm strongly in favor of using poison gas against uncivilized tribes, that hero being Churchill, not my hero by any means. Uh, so I decided to switch, a, turn off the date mode and turn on my journalist mode with this dude and asked him about his experience. And I submitted the paper and then came the hand-washing months. And then I thought, well, I have to convert it into something that's not just an academic paper but something that almost everyone would read, my mom would read, that you would read. Um, so I decided that it had to get out of that box and go into something that's simplified and yet not not dumbed down. So yeah, that's the guy that I spoke to. I managed to talk to a guy in Portland in the US who 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 uh, faced tear gas uh, during the Black Lives Matter protests, a student in Jamia Millia Islamia University in New Delhi who was in the library when tear gas was lobbed in, and a journalist from and based in India, occupied Kashmir. This story, I thought, about how tear gas went from being normalized, you know, from being from being banned to being normalized in protest policing, uh, to the point that in the Rio uh, uh, FIFA games, one of the biggest budget for security was for tear gas and other tools. How did we reach this in this, uh, you know, in this time and age of this world? I thought this should be a story that any editor would be interested, right? Would you be interested in reading that story? It's a long one, but I'll tell you what happens in my part of the world as an independent journalist. This is how I maintain my business. These were all the rejections from all the publications that just were not interested in this story in spite of it being timely. One publication accepted it and killed it because there was a change in the editorial position and all of that, and I finally published it. And I was wondering, what is it that when you have a powerful story, but editors do not want to hear it? Um, A few years before that, I had a chance to be in El Salvador on a prestigious fellowship from the International Women's Media Foundation. Uh, One of six women, and I would say I was the only one from the Orient. And this was in 2016, just before the Trump years. I mean, just before Trump came into office uh, in the US. And obviously, the main story that everyone seemed to be interested in were two things about El Salvador that maybe even you know about gang violence and criminalization of abortion. Two extremely important topics, but I knew that. A country and a land and its people simply cannot be defined by just two things because I do not want to be defined by just the identity of being a woman from India. I managed to publish these two stories of a Salvadoran uh, woman who was a little girl during the civil war and she learned to read to be able to stop corporate mining. Uh, El Salvador I found out was the only country in the world to have banned metallic mining. It was the first one at that time. But where was that story? It was nowhere to be found. And then because it was all about the American dream and like pushing, behind, uh, pushing back on refugees and migrants, what does it mean to go out looking for the American dream? What does it mean for people who stay behind? And So I decided to try and go back to the families where the villages are only um, comprising older people and children because the younger generation had gone off for the American dream. To really see what is that American dream in El Salvador, you know, with the remittances coming in stories that I again shopped around like the previous slide of the, um, of the spreadsheet. And um, these stories that I managed to finally get them published in two publications that are now defunct, they don't exist anymore. The death of journalism, you would say. And the reason I'm saying all this is because I feel I continue be to be defined by that photograph there, the passport that I carry. Now that I live in Ireland and people are asking me, so do you plan to become a citizen there? A part of me feels that, you know what? Yeah, because I want to have the freedom that many of you have to just sit on an airplane and travel around and have the same exuberance and confidence that a Chad from central, you know, from Midwest America might have to just go down to Niger and report from there. Yes, we can say that um, foreign correspondence and um, you know the way foreign journalism is done, that's dead. But then, no matter how good I am at my journalism, I continue to be, to be defined by this. I'm constantly asked, as a woman from India, what does it mean to be a journalist in India? A white dude is never asked that question. What does it mean to be a white dude, you know, or a white woman reporting from another part of the world? And now we have diversity. Obviously, that's great. But I wouldn't resonate well with a South Asian uh, woman living in the U.S. who's born and raised there. I'd not relate with Mindy Kaling because she's American, and that's the way she looks at her stories and her brilliant stories, and I look at mine. So yes, while we are in newsrooms, editors are really not interested in listening to the stories because we've just stopped listening to them entirely. And I guess that's what is happening, that I'm asking myself, and I ask you, can I see myself beyond that what has been ascribed to me, what I look like, what I carry, what I choose to carry, what I choose not to carry? How can we see each other beyond what has been ascribed to each other? Are we truly listening? Yeah and I guess. It comes down to in much more simpler and fun terms as what we ended up watching throughout the pandemic was this. Can we like the wine and not the label? Can we really listen to the stories that have to be told beyond making someone a hero, beyond making someone a victim, beyond making someone a villain? Because guess what? All of us have been all three and more at any given point of time. So, could we also love, cherish, welcome the stories and not just the storyteller because that storyteller is the tick box on your diversity checklist. Could we go beyond the gatekeeping and focus on better storytelling and not just gatekeep that, but also open up those gates, right? And could we go beyond the gatekeepers of Pulitzers Any of you journalists here? Great, any of you journalists here who are not Americans? Okay, none of us are gonna win a Pulitzer, no matter how great we are as journalists. And yet someday, we would never be called as the best journalist who's done that that amazing reporting because we don't have the Pulitzer, because we are not American citizens, because that's one of the criteria, right? Uh, I think we could win a Pulitzer if we wrote a book on American history, Uh, but then, nah, I'm interested in other things too, maybe someday. But that's what I'm trying to say, you know? We have just this one pedestal in every platform and every field That's going to determine who gets to speak and who doesn't. I'm speaking to you because I speak English and not one of the other six languages I speak, and vice versa. So that language is also another gatekeeping then. And that brings me back to my life in Japan where it took this country, which is considered one of the most modern with most technological advances, where I still had a fax machine because that's how it works and it's a place where people respect each other with masks even before the pandemic because they respected each other. It took them 116 years to raise the age of consent for sex. What took it so long? Aren't you curious? Well, editors were not. Well, it turns out France and other countries also have very low ages for, you know, for, uh, for a age of consent for sex, but then we don't get to really hear about that because again, we've decided that some countries are modern, some countries are not. I come from a country which continues to be defined as a developing country. And you know what, now I've realized I like that because I'm developing and I'm not yet developed. It's not rigid. It means there's a window, there's an opening for us to grow and be better. It's messy, it's not perfect. India's busy killing Muslims right now, but at the same time it's the place where women continue to go out and protest. They make their voices heard. We are loud and we just do not take any BS. I'm happy that I come from this country and any other country that's defined as developing because the moment it's developed, It's done, it's rigid, it's arrived, it's decided. I will tell you what the rules are and how it's going to be and where we're going to, this is the gate and this is where it's going to be open and this is where it's going to be shut. So before we think of what's a developing country, let's really ask, is that really a problem or not? So maybe the age of foreign correspondent is over. Yesterday someone said that journalism is over. So many of my friends were journalists have died. Because they have been telling the, because they have been bringing truth and news to you. Without that, you really none of your innovations would work if you didn't know what's happening in the world. So maybe the age of telling stories from another part of the world is over. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's turned in a different way. Can we look into our own backyard as we did during those hand-washing pandemic years? Maybe we needed to connect this story here to the rest of the world. Maybe we are connected more than ever before like we did, remember? So we need to continue to live with that, perhaps. And maybe our mundane, our boring is similar. Unrequited love. That person doesn't love me. That person who I need to love, you know, I cannot love. I need to have a better life for my children. We're all quite similar in that. Maybe we do not need those gatekeepers. This phone, this technology which we think opens up the doors, it definitely does. As I walked with Paul Salopek, this man who's now in China, he's been walking across the earth for 10 years now, walking the path of human migration at pretty much this pace, which is the pace of five kilometers an hour. And you can all do that because this has been what our ancestors have been doing. We're really not accustomed to doing this. This is not what our bodies are made for. And we have been doing that with paper maps, or the maps of our own ancestors, and the maps of people who walk the path. Not machines, not those vehicles, not those highways. In the poorest of places, the the best shortcuts and the best routes were given to us by women who had to walk miles to fetch water, and older men who had to also walk miles to the market. And here it's a photograph where we woke up, where we were staying that night there in this village, and we were all plugged into our phone. And I was thinking, that's a good idea, but isn't the phone also another way of gatekeeping when we're thinking of more apps and more QR codes? I'm currently working on a research looking at how older women use smartphone and social media. It's inspired by my mom, who's now addicted to the phone, and I'm like the mother of a teenager now, how the roles turn upside down. And if she were to come visit me in Ireland, which she's gonna do next month, I know the challenges she will face in an English-speaking country, because there are really no directions and signs, Menus that are designed only with a QR code. The moment, think of it, you step out of the airport. How do I get to the city center? Nobody tells us that. Do I need to buy a ticket? Do I need to buy a card? How much does it cost? Where do I exchange? The basic momentary things. So if we decide everything's based on the phone and we have made that small slab as our powerful thing, aren't we giving it too much power than it's necessary? Are we really thinking in terms of the grandmother who has done amazing things in her lifetime, but just wouldn't want to be reduced to this technological things that you have designed? This was from a few years in Bosnia where my phone was stolen and I was trying to communicate with a man who lost too many people in his family during the war and I was trying to tell him that people are so generous and that's what Google Translate prompted prompted me. And this is not just Google, this is not just AI, this is all of us. Why would you go to Bosnia? I'm like, why not? So, before we leave, Let's just think for a moment and maybe just look at each other and maybe not directly, maybe indirectly, because all of us have survived a pandemic and so many others haven't. We cannot let that experience be lost. How can we use the experience of the pandemic perhaps for each other? Could we be better listeners instead of just say this is my view And like Sasha said, it is all political. And that's what I've been feeling. It it cannot, design is political. Everything is political. I want you to leave with the words of Vizhlova Symborska. Feel free to stay, uh, listen with your uh, your eyes open and uh, your ears open definitely or your ears shut. Because she says that we are children of our age. It's a political age. All day long, all through the night, all affairs, yours, ours, theirs, are political affairs. Whether you like it or not, your genes have a political past, your skin a political cast, your eyes a political slant. Whatever you say reverberates, whatever you don't say speaks for itself. So either way, you're talking politics. Even when you take to the woods, you're you're taking political steps on political grounds. Apolitical poems, like this one, are also political. And above us shines a moon, no longer purely lunar. To be or not to be, that is the question. And though it troubles the digestion, it is a question, as always, of politics. But to acquire a political meaning, you don't have to be human. Raw material will do, or protein feed, or crude oil, or something that you all will like. A conference table whose shape was quarreled for months. Should we arbitrate life and death on a round table or a square one? Meanwhile, people perished, animals died, houses burned, and fields ran wild just like in times immemorial and times less political. Thank you.